Hello and welcome to another episode of the Book Baby Spotlight Podcast, your home for conversations with authors, illustrators, editors, and other industry insiders from the world of self-publishing. I'm your host, Sam Sedan. Today we've made it to our 10th episode of the pod and second in quarantine. It seems like a mere 45 years ago that we started in that Book Baby office. I want to thank everyone for listening and to remind you to share it, rate it, follow it, subscribe, whatever the case might be on the podcast listening platform of choice. Uh, so today I'm talking to Andy Cahan, the director of author events for the Free Library of Philadelphia. He's pretty busy at the moment, uh, transforming this program for the socially distant world. First of all, how are you? Working remotely? Got all your groceries? Got all my groceries, uh, doing my daily every other day run, trying to just um, stay healthy and moderately sane during this upside down time we're living in. I think uh, the best name I heard for it was In the Weirds, which is where we're at now. A good one. Yeah, so I, I remember just with all the initial email exchanges in, in March about this, and people, there would be these sort of long winded intros about how crazy it was. And now, it seems like most of the responses back and forth are, hey, uh, hope you're safe and well, and then boom, on to business. Like, so it's, they, everybody's sort of figured out a way to compress it and move on in some way. Well, we would just had all the puns about uh, love in the time of cholera. So oh, right. <laughs> that's what most of our yeah. chains were headed with. <laughs> yeah, my corona, all that stuff. <laughs> So the idea uh, for reaching out to you is uh, sparked by a promotional email I saw that the library put out regarding an author event being moved online. That's certainly something that's interesting to all of our authors. So is that how you guys are handling all events moving forward? Yeah, I mean, there's the, the schedule became really topsy-turvy. Um, some people just wanted to flat out cancel. Some folks aren't happy in the sort of laptop virtual sphere or box, as it were. Um, and it seemed like if we were going to keep this thing alive, we needed to move online and do it quickly. Um, we, I saw that some other, that some bookstores were doing it uh, throughout the country. And I thought, well, if they can do it, we can probably do it. So uh, about a, within a week, we were up and running on Crowdcast. And it was just a matter of convincing and converting um, the in real life or IRL events into virtual life events. And we've had a good number of people say yes so far. And I think we're just going to take it on a, a couple of week basis, every two weeks, figure out where we are, and then see if we can um, rope in more people to, to come online with us. I, I don't think it's an ideal medium, um, but it's a stopgap for now. And that could certainly change over the next six to, six to 12 months as this thing goes through the roller coaster that it's going to be. You said you had authors pushing back that they weren't interested in doing this at all? Yeah, I think some of them are just uncomfortable. Um, don't really, don't understand the environment all that well. And so don't want to just be talking into uh, a little pin camera on their laptop. Um, I, I, could, I get it. I, a couple have said, you know, it's just, this isn't for me. It's, it's without, without. Uh, a detailed explanation. I just got the sense that it was an alienating and strange environment, and they're real people. People need to connect uh, with somebody in front of them instead of just talking to a screen. Um, 
but most so far have have been pretty amenable. And so we were able to kick off about a week later with uh, Emily St. John Mandel for her new book, The Glass, ooh, I want to get it right, Glass Hotel. Uh, and we, to my surprise, had, had a really good turnout for that event. It was triple what we had when she was actually in the library. Um, so I think the, the virtual events have the capacity to reach an even wider audience, which is sort of intuitive, mm -hmm. um, but it, 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 it happened that way. And I think also people are just looking for content, even though it's sort of overwhelming with all the stuff that's out there these days and getting pushed toward us. Do you think there's any other advantages to having the events online? Um, I'm, I think there will be down the line just having it as an option. So maybe an older author who might be less comfortable traveling, who has figured out the technology and would rather do it from their study or their living room or dining room table when they don't want to travel in the winter for a new book. Um, it's likely that that would that a virtual event would be an option for them. And I just I do see that sort of thing happening in the future. We I interviewed one person uh, for the series, and she was just pointing out, isn't it great that we don't have to deal with this long line afterward? So it'll be a balance um, going forward. But I think it, it's going to become, as a result of, of where we are with the COVID-19, et cetera. And because it is going to have this up and down quality where we're going to be sheltering and then we're going to be out and we're going to be sheltering again, it'll, it'll be a stronger option in the future for events. I think the trick will be monetizing it, getting signed books into people's hands. Um, that's, that's going to be a little tricky. That's what I was just wondering, is that's uh, one of the best parts of all of the, the events I've been to at the Philadelphia Library, or the, you know, get, the, get the signed book afterwards, or maybe even get to talk to the author for a minute. Yeah, you get to chat with, well, you know, interesting, the one of them that you had mentioned, that one, that person doesn't do uh, signings per se, but I think, I think when, you, when Joy Harjo was there, she did a book signing afterward. Yeah, it was real quick. Uh, not even a uh, personalized inscription just all right sign all right good but you know the line was, was you know hours long so i can't yeah. blame her for that have you noticed any approaches uh work better from the author perspective uh, as to how they approach this event um is no i mean honestly it all seems to come down to connection quality um if they say <laughs> yes then they're they're avid to do it and they're committed mm -hmm. but um, with these virtual events, it all comes down to the, the, somebody's high-speed connection. If they've got a lousy connection and it sounds like they're underwater, it's just not going to be a good event, even if it's a good event. And it, and it won't make somebody who's not a good presenter better, but it would make somebody who's a great presenter terrible because you can't hear them if they have a lousy connection. Mm -hmm. And it's really, I've found, um, hit or miss and various authors have uh, various skill levels when it comes to connecting to the internet <laughs> and using the using the technology so it has its its ups and downs uh so i understand that you're in charge of the author event but how is the rest of the library handling things we take it on a every couple of week basis um but most of the rest of the library has gone beyond stepping up um we've got music classes that 
are happening online uh, on Facebook for kids. There's, uh, we've got a culinary literacy center, which is really well known. And the uh, woman who runs that is doing cooking demonstration videos on Instagram and on Facebook, um, instructional videos on various meals. Um, there's story time for kids. There's, there's morning story time. There are evening story times. It's just a matter of jumping on Facebook live and going to the, um, the children's Facebook page. So uh, across the library, um, there's this digital push to keep things alive while the doors to the institution are actually closed. The usage of the OverDrive ebook download system has gone through the roof. Uh, people have figured it out. People who were reluctant to figure it out are using it for all intents and purposes open in a lot of ways, but you can't come to the building. Or you can, but you can just sit out. Kick it in. <laughs> Although I think um, a lot of libraries are doing this. You can use the, they leave the Wi-Fi on so that if somebody's in proximity to the building, they can get Wi-Fi access. That's great, especially in the city of Philly. So what other services do you offer uh, at the library apart from, from the free Wi-Fi right now? Is there anything else that you're trying to move online? Uh, I know one of the biggest parts of the library, everyone considers the books first, but then you know there's so many other services you guys offer for the community. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that I'm actually equipped to talk about that I, because so many of them are in person and that can't go forward. So, for example, we have social workers at the library who work with the homeless population who comes in. Um, and, and I think that is something that just has not, it, it, that's not something that we can do at this point, to my knowledge. Most of it has been program oriented um, more than anything else. I know libraries around the country are doing different things. Um, apart from the, the Wi-Fi I mentioned earlier, um, there and, and we've been encouraging this as well, um, working on the census. Uh, it seems that libraries have taken this up across the country, particularly in urban areas where the count needs to be, where libraries will benefit and where the local population will benefit if everybody's counted. So there's been a census push, um, people to get out there and, and phone bank and people to um, just sort of be an information point in your community so that you can inform people that they needn't be scared to take it, that they ought to take it, uh, and that those monies will ultimately flow to improving the community in various ways. And I know that's happening in Rhode Island in addition to Philadelphia, or rather, I think in Cranston or Providence, um, and then I know a couple of places across the country have been making um, PPEs um, for uh, the personal protective equipment to, to help out with local hospitals and initiatives to protect people. So, so there's been this sort of consortium of libraries that had 3D printers and they're making face masks and things like that to oh, wow. uh, distribute to the community. That's yeah. great. So, I think libraries are getting involved in all kinds of different ways, and I certainly don't know all of them. My focus tends to be the author event aspect of things. All right. Well, this might be a little bit outside your wheelhouse then as well, but uh, I talked a little bit on a previous episode about the library's plan to abolish late fees. Uh, can you tell me anything about what went into that decision? Uh, I, can't, I can't tell you much, um, apart from the fact that 
late fees across the country were seen as getting in the way of education of um, some of the communities, in, particularly in the big cities. It was an opportunity to get rid of that and um, expunge the fines and then bring people back in so that they and their kids could get books again and continue learning and enjoying books and reading books. Um, it, it, a lot of, there was a lot of thought that it was more of a penalty uh, and then it wasn't really productive and that the, the financial, the financials could be absorbed and that in the long run, it was better to, to offer the, the free education and entertainment and whatever utility was, is provided by books or whatever imaginative capacity they, they, uh, they incite um, rather than penalizing people. It's a whole argument about, um, well, then it's going to undercut people's sense of personal responsibility. But that's not what's being seen. Yeah, from my understanding that the late fees themselves serve more as a deterrent to ever come to the library again, rather than a punishment where, you know, you're, you're spending extra $2 on this late fee or whatever the case might be. It's more keeping people who desperately need these services that the library has to offer away from ever going to the library. Right. Yeah, it's, that's, that's definitely part of it. Uh, and like I said, I, I, I guess across the country, when there were, where there were um, pilot programs, they saw that uh, people came back, brought the books back, and continued to be um, continued to check out books and then bring them back. So it's been it's it's worked. All right. So how long have you been with uh, the Free Library? Um, it'll be going on 20 years this August, so a really long time <laughs> doing this. So over the years, you've clearly done a lot of events. Yeah, we've done thousands of these things. There's a writer who, who doesn't do much anymore. Her name's A.S. Byatt, and she won the Booker Prize for a book called Possession, probably about 20 or 30 years ago at this point. And... Um, just a brilliant woman, but somebody was interviewing her on stage and it was, we had had a snowstorm. There were foot and a half, two feet of snow. And every time she came to the library, there would be a foot and a half of snow. It was bonkers. Um, but so it was a very intimate audience instead of, it had been sold out, but it was a quiet crowd because not a lot of folks were going to trudge through that mess. And, um, the interviewer asked her, she, she writes a lot of this possession was uh, a piece of historical fiction. And the interviewer asked her, uh, she, they were talking about how when Byatt was a kid, she had these coloring books. And the coloring books were tales of poetry and mythology and short stories. And she would color them in. And she said, you know, I think I realized that my whole writing career, I'm basically filling in those lines, those pictures with words now. And it just, I didn't tell it well, but it was sort of an epiphanic moment for her. And the audience realized it too. And it was just, oh, so here's this surprise on stage of this woman, this great writer coming to terms with like, what her writing is to her. And happened in a snowstorm in Philly 20 years ago. That, that's just sort of always stuck with me. Whenever a writer has some realization on stage that they haven't had before or that they pretend they haven't had before, <laughs> that's probably more to the point. Uh, it makes it really significant. 
So would you recommend those sort of personal touches for any of our authors doing events? It all comes down to personality, I think, uh, and how an author connects with an audience. And the trick for people who are printing books themselves is just generating that audience in the first place. I, I don't know how to encourage somebody to just sort of be able to connect apart from, you know, getting on social media, et cetera. But having a personality and then when they are in a place with somebody really caring about the audience and caring about what somebody who shows up, whether it's eight people or 80 people that, that they are, they are connecting. And those are always the best events. And I, it's not, there's no formula to it. I mean, you can do as much as you want on social media and get the books out there and you can be a fantastic writer. But if you're not connecting with people on some level at the event, making them want to stay and pick up that book afterward. Uh, and not, not all authors can do it. Um, and the sales sort of show that at events. You can tell from the, the length of the line. What's the formula then to actually get in that room in the first place? You know, some self-published author comes to you and says, hey, I want to do this event. What's the first thing that you want to know that's going to sell you? All right. Um, I want to know that your book is with a major publisher. We're, with the events we do, we sort of draw the line at self-publishing, actually. Um, because we need some rubric to, to basically uh, say no. It's that we have so much stuff coming over the transom and we can't accommodate it all. And it takes, it takes a name and it takes a budget and usually a New York publisher, from my perspective, to help us get the word out about an event in order to drive audience. And even when we have name brand people, we won't necessarily get a tip top audience. It's so variable. Mm -hmm. um, so the trick is getting recognized. And once you get recognized, then you're and you've got an audience, then people are obviously going to listen. It's sort of a catch 22. But for us, we deal with mostly names that are already out there or who have a sizable national profile. Um, otherwise, we just the events aren't all that great. And I get I get emails every day from people, and I recommend that they contact their local library uh, and do an event there. Um, that they contact, depending on the book and the type of book, um, various social organizations and do outreach there. Um, in Philly, there are all these apartment houses with neighborhood associations and boards that are looking to do things for the people who live there. Um, that is a strong source of events. It's, if you're self-published, it's, it's really, really challenging. I mean, I know that. But not impossible. You had uh, Wilson Good as one of our authors. I guess as the former mayor and former head of the library, he had a little bit of extra pull. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> sort of a, he's in a different class <laughs> as, as for exactly the reasons you noted. We used to have a, a book festival, and we had a whole sort of self-published component to that, uh, where we had a lot of authors there who were meeting the public and selling their books. But unfortunately, that book festival has gone away. All right. Well, hopefully we can bring it back once we're actually able to sit in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. So before I let you go, uh, sure. what books are you reading to make it through this time? Well, I usually, I generally stick to books for uh, written by the authors who are coming through. 
So I just um, had a chat with Julia Alvarez, who wrote um, In the Time of the Butterflies and How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accents. She's got a new one called Afterlife. I thought that was terrific. Um, it's sort of a, an, I don't want to call it an end of life novel. It's a, a late stage novel where she's imagining um, the death of the, the character in the book, the husband dies. And she's trying to come to terms with the husband's death uh, at the same time that she's wrestling with a sister who has mental issues at the same time that she's wrestling with a local immigration problem. And the book is, it moves quickly. It's full of great quotes from literature that the, the character's uh, uh, professor of lit as Alvarez was. And so it's, it's sophisticated, it's warm-hearted, it's, it's a great read. Uh, and the other one I'm in the middle of is um, James McBride's latest book, The Deacon, Deacon King Kong, which is set in the uh, 60s, late 60s in Brooklyn. And it's all about community. And he got the National Book Award for The Good Lord Bird, which was a great book about John Brown and this sort of transvestite kid who traveled with him. Uh, it was, a, I guess, a boy who dressed as a girl. And it just that book just sort of relentlessly both praised and, and mocked John Brown and a lot of great worthies of the time. This one, it's about community in Brooklyn centered around a church uh, and uh, a shooting. And he's, he's just a great shaggy dog storyteller. Um, and it's got, it has a wonderful sense of humor, too. All right, I'll add them to my list. Okay, don't feel compelled. Read what you want to read. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for your time. All right, take care. Good to meet you. All right, again, that was Andy Cahan of the Philadelphia Free Library. Thanks to him for talking with me. Hopefully the library is open again soon, but in the meantime, check out their events and services at freelibrary.org. Please also check out our site if you're interested in publishing with Book Baby. We want to hear from you. Thanks to Jim O'Brien for making this podcast possible. And until next time, I'm Sam Sedan, and this has been the Book Baby Spotlight. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>